0: and if you're going to win souls you've got to love souls in spite of their meanness in spite of the way they look in spite of everything you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them because Jesus loved them and because Jesus died for them and you're trying to bring them to the son of God Thank you for listening to Sandy Creek Stirrings. Of course, I'm your host, Joshua Jimenez, and today we have our very first Q&A episode. Our very first Q&A episode. Now, we've answered questions here before on Sandy Creek Stirrings, but we've never had just a QA and a episode, an episode where all we did was just answer questions that have come in from the listeners. Well, today we've had a little bit of a backlog of questions that have gone unanswered, and so I wanted to take an entire episode just to answer a few questions questions that have come in. And I sure do appreciate answering questions. It's I'm no expert, so don't get me wrong. I don't know the answer to everything. A lot of times I'll counsel for an answer and ask some others, you know, hey, what do you think of this? And what do you think? And I'll do some research. And so I'm not the expert. I don't know the answer to anything. But if anything, I'm proof that if you just study you can find the answer as well. And so that's what I'm here for. I'm really just a dummy, but I, I can study, and I've learned how to study, and so that's a, that's just a, a little a point to studying, and so you can do that too. But you can send in those questions if you go to our contact page on our website. Again, that's www.sandycreekstirrings.com. Again, that's sandycreekstirrings.com, simply the name of the podcast. Go on there, and you'll see that menu button for the contact page. You'll simply click on that contact page, fill out the question that you have, and simply hit submit, and that question will come through directly to me. Or you can do it one um, two other ways. You can also send us an email at Joshua at Sandy Creek Again, that's Joshua at Sandy Creek Or you can go to our Facebook page. And if you go on to our Facebook page, if you follow us, I, I think you don't even have to follow us. But if you go on there, you can go to our um, go to that page and you can send us a message to Sandy Creek Stirrings on Facebook, and that question will be entered in and we'll answer that question at some point in time. And so today we did have a few questions questions. questions that have gone unanswered and I wanted to take time to answer those today. The Bible says, by the way, we should always be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh us a reason of the hope that is within us. And so it's important to have those answers ready and to learn to study. The Bible says in Proverbs that a wise man studyeth the answer. And so we're going to work on answering some of these questions today. Some good questions, we've got a couple, so let's go ahead and dive right into those today. One of the questions that was asked was, why do some passages of Scripture Scripture use the name Christ Jesus, and others refer to our Lord as Jesus Christ. And so why do some passages use the name Christ Jesus, and why do others refer to our Lord as Jesus Christ? And good question. Thank you to the listener who sent that in. You know, we know that God does nothing by accident. He doesn't. He does nothing by accident. There's no punctuation. There's no word uh, change or anything within Scripture. You know, you, you might find a, something like, for instance, this example. You might have Christ Jesus here and Jesus Christ there. Um, God does nothing by accident, and so no one really knows for sure why sometimes it's Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. There are a few ideas floating around in regards to this question. Either way, I think it's important to understand. It changes nothing about our doctrine. Uh, talking about the same person. So it's not changing doctrine. It's not this thing, you know, where I'm going to plant my flag. This is why it is. I don't think anybody really knows for sure, but there are a few ideas of why there might be that slight name change from here to there. And I'll give you two of those. Number one, some believe that using one term over another places a preeminence on one of the particular names. For instance, let's go into what the names actually mean. You have Jesus, which simply means Savior, uh, means God of salvation. It's simply the Greek form of y- um, Joshua, and uh, interesting enough. And uh, so, But Jesus simply means Savior. And of course, that name was given to Mary by Gabriel, came to her and told her, hey, I want you to name him Jesus, or I'm sorry, that went to Joseph. And uh, so in using—and then you've got Christ, which means messiah or anointed one. All right, so you've got Jesus means Savior, Christ means Messiah, or anointed one. And so in using the name, some believe that the author of the passage is placing an emphasis on some people say, by the humanity of Christ. When they use Jesus Christ, they're obviously placing Jesus in front of Christ by using the name Jesus, you know, his human name first. Maybe it's placing an emphasis on the humanity of Christ. Or maybe by saying Christ Jesus, they're placing the emphasis on the Messiah, the the deity of Christ, the you know, the 100% God, by using the name Christ first. And so that's one school of thought. Another school of thought is that The author is being a little bit more formal when they use the name Christ Jesus. For instance, Paul, when he referred to Christ a lot, he used more often the term he used Christ Jesus. And what you'll find about Paul is he didn't walk with Christ. Um, You know, he wasn't he wasn't one of the apostles who walked with Christ during his earthly ministry. And so often he referred to him as Christ Jesus. Whereas John the Beloved, you know, the closest apostle to Christ, you know, that's why he's called the Beloved, and Um, But he walked closest to Christ, he more often used the title Jesus Christ. So those are kind of two schools of thoughts. I think, you know, I don't know that either one is correct or if they both are. I think it's really more of, you know, what do you think? It might be a little bit more of a personal thing. I think the key, though, is remembering what the two names are all about, no matter what their order is. Uh, Jesus is, of course, Savior. He's the Savior of all. That's even the definition of His name, Savior. And so it doesn't matter if you're Jew. Or you're Gentile, doesn't matter if you're black or white. Jesus loves the entire world. I love that song, Jesus Loves the Little Children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. To me, when I see the name Jesus, it's simply a reminder that He is the Savior for everyone. And the title Jesus also points us back, though, to the deity of Christ. Look, Jesus Christ was 100% God. He was God in flesh, but He was also still 100% man. Okay, He got tired. He was tempted. He went through trials. He went through heartache. I mean, at the death of Lazarus, he, he wept. He, he took on flesh to die for you and I. There, look, there's a special connection that you and I have as humans to the humanity of Christ. That's why Hebrews 4.12 means so much to us, which says, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. There's something special. There's a special connection with the name Jesus and Savior, Savior of the world. But then you have Christ, which means the Messiah, the Anointed One, And this is the one who the Jews had been waiting for since the promise to Adam in the Garden of Eden, um, which really, it wasn't a promise to Adam. If you go back and study it out, it was a promise to the serpent, how one day somebody would come and crush his head, and that would be the Messiah. And so when that promise was given, the Jews have been waiting for thousands of years since that promise for the Messiah to come, the one they were waiting on, the anointed one. And that name, Christ, being the Messiah, really takes us back and reminds us that He is the one. Jesus is the one who fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And not only was He He the Messiah who would come and die, He would take away the sins of the world, but He's also the Messiah of whom it is prophesied, will one day come back to rule and reign. He's the king of kings. And so there's a confidence we have in Christ, in that name, in that title, Christ, knowing that one day he'll establish his throne for eternity. And so I think the most important thing in that question isn't so much, you know, why why is it Christ Jesus over here and Jesus Christ over here, as much as it's just a reminder that he's both. He's both the Savior of the world, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. But he's also the Messiah who fulfilled all those prophecies, who is also prophesied to come back one day to rule and reign for forever. And so I think that's a great reminder just within those two names. And so I hope that answers your question on that one. If you have a question in regards to that question, you can always send that in on our contact page on the website. Let's go to question number two for today. Somebody asked, what is the unclean thing in 2 Corinthians 6.17? Now, if you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll have heard me quote 2 Corinthians 6.17 multiple times, which says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. Typically, I'll stop there. Um, Saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And so they asked, What is the unclean thing And 2 Corinthians 6.17? Great question. Thank you for sending that one in. You know, when you read that verse by itself— I'll be honest, it's a little hard to pin down exactly what the unclean thing is, but if you continue that passage, it keeps it in context. And that's so important. If you've heard me talk about studying the Bible or anything like that, I talk about the importance of biblical context, which means where is it located at a passage? Where is it located? Is, uh, is it all one thought? Where does the thought end? And you'll find that thought is continued through the rest of the chapter, which is only one more verse. It says in 2 Corinthians six eighteen, the next verse... "...and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty." That's the end of chapter 6. Then you have chapter 7, which opens up in verse 1, saying, "...having therefore these promises." Well, what promises? Well, the promises that were just mentioned in chapter 6. So what does that tell you? It's continuing the thought into chapter 7. So having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, "...let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of, filthiness of the flesh." And spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So, since chapter 7 starts with the phrase, you know, having therefore these promises, we ask ourselves, what, you know, what promises? We'll go back to chapter 6, the promises listed in chapter 6. The verse continues, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. And so, what is Paul telling the Corinthians church? What is he telling them to cleanse themselves from? Well, he's saying the filthiness of the flesh. And so, Filthiness, of course, is dirty. Uh, It's unclean. So the unclean thing mentioned in chapter 6 and verse 17 is simply a reference to that which is fleshly or that which is sin. And here's the deal. He used the term touch not the unclean thing because when we touch the unclean thing, when we touch something that's sinful, when we touch something that's fleshly, it shows our involvement with it. Notice that verse doesn't say see. Um, Don't see the unclean thing. Because as you go through life, my friend, there will be some some sin that you see that you can't help but see. You say, what are you, what are you talking about? Ever driven down the, uh, the interstate before men and uh, looked up on a billboard and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, and you had to turn away? You couldn't look at that billboard. Um, could you really help that? No. Um, you can help the thought, are you going to linger on that? Are you going to meditate on that? But that first glance, um, you can't help that. And so there's some things you will see that you can't help. And so Paul didn't say, see not the unclean thing. Notice it doesn't say hear. He didn't, you know, there are some cuss words uh, you'll hear in life that you couldn't help but hear. Now, it's completely different if you're allowing it on your TV and you don't have the, the, um, the Christianity enough to turn it off. Um, but, you know, the, I remember at work, you know, helping customers. Um, I couldn't help some of the cuss words that people said. Um, Of course, I would tell them to quit after so long, but look, there's some things you just can't help but hear. It's not necessarily your fault. You didn't have another option. You didn't know they were going to cuss in front of you. But that's not what the verse says. It doesn't say, you know, don't hear the unclean thing. The verse says don't touch. Touch not the unclean thing because it shows an involvement with that sin. You are becoming involved with it. And so when you become involved with sin, you begin to defile the temple of God, which was mentioned in verse number 16 of that passage. I'm not going to go back and read it, but you can go back and read it, talking about the temple of God, which is your body. And when you become involved with things that are sinful, you become involved with things that are fleshly, um, you begin to defile the temple of God. And when you become involved with sin, what you really do is, is you rip God off the throne of His temple, the throne of your heart, And you place yourself, your feelings, your desires, you place yourself there on the throne of your heart. And that belongs to God. And so the unclean thing that he's talking about is simply things of the flesh and things that are sin. And, you know, he goes in and talks in chapter 6. And even the chapters leading up to that, Paul is dealing with sin that's going on. And Paul is saying that when you arrive to that verse 17 of chapter 6, Paul's saying, you know, wherefore come up from among them and be ye separate. Look, you're not supposed to be doing the things that you're doing. You're separate. You're holy. You're set apart for God's purpose, for God's use. You're you're sanctified, and um, you know you're supposed to be sanctified and separated. Both of those go hand in hand. And um, so, wherefore come up from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And what's a what's part of that? Well, and touch not the unclean thing. Uh, you know, you don't need to be involved with sin. You don't need to be involved in things that are fleshly and the fornication that's going on and all these different things. You don't need to be involved in that. And so that's what Paul's saying in that verse. So the unclean thing is simply things of the flesh, simply things that are sin. And so that's something very important that we should do. You know, here's the thing. We are never going to become sinless. All right, you and I are never going to become sinless to where we never sin. That's just not going to happen. But what you and I are striving to do is we're striving to sin less, meaning we're not sinning as much as we used to. The Bible says, you know, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that includes the amount of sin. We're not supposed to be sinning as much as we used to. We're supposed to be cleaning ourselves up through, of course, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. But we're taking steps to help us sin less. We're never going to become sinless to where we have no sin, but we are working to sin less. And so by not touching the unclean thing, not becoming involved with things of the flesh and things of sin, then we're really obeying that commandment in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, come up from among them and be ye separate, thus saith the Lord. All right, so that was question number two. Let's go on to a third one. We've We've got enough time to fit in one, maybe two more. Let's see how long this question answers it, take, or it takes to answer. And uh, so somebody asked the question. They said, What does it mean to live below your means? What's it mean to live befo- below your means, and how do you do that? I think when Tabitha and I recorded um, the top 10 things for newlyweds or whatever we called that episode, I think we talked about living below your means. And so I think that's where this question is coming from. But what does it mean to live below your means? How do you do that? Also, another good question. Thank you for sending that in. And so basically the term means is a reference to your to your expenses, your bills, your goal or your outgo rather. and uh, living below your means just simply means that you manage your income so that you can have money left over at the end of the month. So money for giving generously, money for savings, money for investing for retirement, money for college funds, etc. And so learning to be wise with our finances, by the way, is something that God commands us to do in Scripture. And one day, very soon, we'll be doing an episode on biblical finance, and and we'll go over the principles of biblical finance in the near future. But being able to manage our money wisely is going to bless not only our own lives through savings and through enjoyment, but it's also going to bless the lives of others through giving. And so learning to live, quote, below your means is truly necessary for being a blessing to both you and others, and it benefits your future getting out of debt, so much more. So handling your finances wisely can literally change. Literally. It can literally change your family tree. It really can. Learning to wisely handle your finances can change your family tree. And so as we answer this question, let me say I'm, I'm no expert on finances. Um, it is an area that I enjoy talking about. It, it, it's an area I enjoy helping others with. I remember when my wife and I, when we began to crunch down on our financial world and we began instituting wise habits within our finances, it really changed so much in our life. And um, it changed a couple things. Number one, it changed what we could do with our, with our money. Um, by instituting good financial habits, it allowed us to clear up debt. It allowed us to stick to a budget. It allowed us to have extra money left over at the end of the month. So we've, so we've been able to uh, you know, save up a down payment for a house. So we've been able to make large purchases to be a blessing to others. So we've been able to give to our church in larger sums than we ever have before. And you know I don't say that to build myself up. I say that to help you know that those are things that I'm sure you desire to do. You desire to, you know, um, free up your income and, and save money for your house or for future home or your current home or to do, uh, do things, renovations and things of that sort, or making purchases and being a blessing to others or, or giving money to others or being able to give to your church program more, maybe your missions program or your building program or just tithing more. And those are things as a Christian you want to do. You just do. Those are things you want to do. And so I'm not saying those things to build myself up. I'm just saying that to help you know that you can do all those things. You can do those things, too, if you'll only institute good financial habits. So not only did it change what we could do with our money, but it also changed the level of stress in our lives. And so, look, I understand we are not supposed to place our trust in money. Now, many, many Bible passages on that, Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, He that trusteth in his riches shall fall. And so I'm, I'm very clear. Look, you don't place your trust in money. Our trust should not be in our savings account, shouldn't be in our checking account, shouldn't be in the stock market, shouldn't be in our retirement fund, it shouldn't be in any of those things, it should be in God. But let me tell you this, the Bible talks more about finances than it does about faith. There are more verses of Scripture about finances than there are faith in the Bible, and faith is an essential to our Christianity. There are more verses of Scripture about finances in the Bible than there are about prayer. And prayer is one of the basic, essential things of our Christianity. Good biblical management of your finances, it's so important, and it can help you with simple peace of mind. Let me give you this example. I used to always, always be stressed at the end of the month, um, you know, when the end of the month, when most of your money is gone, you're waiting for your next paycheck, and the bills were so tight. Debt was so big. It was horrible. And I've shared a little bit before about our, our situation in regards to finances early on when we got married and we made some just bad decisions. I put the blame on me. I made bad decisions with our finances, and it's, it stuck us in a hole. And look, I should have completely placed my trust in God. But let me just say this in case anybody forgot. Um, I'm human, and nobody can forget that because I mess up so much on this podcast. But look, I'm human. I'm not perfect. Now, I've learned to trust God more and more, but remember, I'm just a man. And as an alpha dog type guy, I'm in charge. I like to lead. And one of my biggest concerns is caring for my family. And by the way, God puts that care in a man's heart to care and to provide for his family and when we would get to the end of the month and we had no money and we still had bills i felt like i wasn't doing my job like i wasn't providing for my family and you know what it does it it stresses you out you say oh my goodness you're so ungodly um, tell me you've never been stressed out before money can stress you out and so i remember in the in the point in our marriage in our in our life when we determ- we determined we're, we're going to make these decisions to turn things around financially And, you know, we cleared out our debt. We freed up our income. We were able to save. It helped to remove a lot of stress, not because I trust in money, but because handling your finances in the way that God intended will help you in that way. That's why God has principles for handling your finance. You know, there's a lot of people who say, if you're stressing out about money, then you're not trusting God. I say this, we're all human we're all prone to human emotion, but if we choose to practice God's principles for finances, a byproduct of practicing God's principles for finance is that the stress won't be there because you practice God's, you know, finances. He practiced his principles. Let me give you this example. Tabitha and I went on our four-year anniversary back in January of this year, 2021, and I've been married for four years, and the greatest four years of my life, and uh, there you go, that's brownie point, sweetheart, if you're listening, and I've been married four years, and so we took a trip to where we went for our anniversary, and um, we traveled to a little town in Georgia, and uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, some of you are going to be like, that's where you went, for your honeymoon. And uh, we went to Valdosta, Georgia. See, when we first got married, when we went on our honeymoon, I'd rented a Victorian-style house in that area, and it was a three-story house, and I'd rented it for pretty cheap, and I'd rented it for, I think, five or six days. And so Tabitha was really into those Victorian-style houses, and so that's where we went and stayed for our anniversary. And there's a few restaurants, and there's some memories there that we have from, you know, our, our honeymoon together. And so we like to go back up there every now and then when we can and just go back to all those things, blah, 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 you know, all that romantic, gushy stuff. And so we were up there for our four-year anniversary. We had the two girls and, of course, Tabitha being pregnant. And so we decided, you know what, we're not going to stay overnight this year. We're just going to go up there. We're going to leave early on a Monday morning. We're going to stay up there all day. And then we're just going to come back that night on Monday night. And so we drove up there. We had a great day, did thrift store shopping, went and ate and uh, did all these things. And there was a particular restaurant we wanted to be at that night and a restaurant we just learned to fall in love with. And so we uh, we went and we pulled in. We were going along, driving down the road, stopped at a red light. And I noticed some smoke coming out of the hood of the car. And um, I was thinking, hmm. Still interesting. Our uh, there had been like this squealing, kind of knocking that had started halfway through the day in the engine of our car, and I wasn't really sure what was going on. Our air was kind of in, you know intermittent. It wasn't blowing too well. It wasn't blowing cold, and some smoke started to come out of the engine. And so we were driving along, stopped at a, at a red light, and then we pulled into the restaurant and pulled in the parking lot, and the car was just blowing smoke everywhere. And so I opened the hood, and I knew something was wrong. The engine fans weren't turning on. The, there was coolant just blown all over the place. I thought, oh, no. So I said, you know, let's not eat. Let's go to a shop. It was about 30 minutes before shops would start closing. And so we drove to a shop, and uh, my radiator blew. Uh, the top blew on the radiator, the cooling fans blew out, and the AC compressor quit, which is, you know, a fair amount of work. And uh, the car was smoking, and so we got into a shop, they told me everything that was wrong with it, gave me a bill, a sizable bill, and it wouldn't be done till the morning. And so what do you do at that point? You know, we're not going to drive. Valdosta is about an hour and a half away from us. We're not going to have somebody drive to pick us up. And so I went online, got us a hotel, called one of those Lyft rides, you know, one of those Ubers, and called one of those. That was interesting. And they got in one of those, which, by the way, is a charge for that little taxi service. So we got to our hotel, then we taxied the next morning out to the mall, and then we just walked around the mall and all around Valdosta all day. And then we taxied from there back to the shop, paid the shop bill, got the car car back, and I got back home late. Uh, This would have been actually Tuesday and Wednesday, and so we got back late Wednesday night just in the middle of church, and so we got into church in time. But you say, why tell me that story? I want to tell you something that happened to me for one of the first times going through a financial situation is I didn't get stressed out. I did not get stressed out. Look, I'll be honest, that was a situation to, that would stress me out all the time before. Um, before we had instituted good finance, financial principles in our life, that situation would have just stressed me out. I would have just been going crazy. I would have been going nuts. And, uh, but it didn't stress me out. You know why? Because I had practiced God's principles for finances. You know, one of those principles is I had saved up an emergency fund. And you know how much money was in the emergency fund? More than enough to cover the car bill, more than enough to cover the hotel bill, more than enough to cover the taxi bills, um, and God had that in place to cover my bills. You know what? God provided the money. God provided the money. All I had to do was just follow his methods for saving. So God provided it. And so learning to put those good financial principles into your life can change not only um, what you can do with money, but it, it can change the level of stress within your life as far as in the area of finances. And you say, well, you know what? Uh, I don't know that I I don't struggle with stress with finances, and good for you. I'm glad you don't. Um, But there are millions and millions and millions of Americans across this country and tons and tons and tons of your brothers and sisters in your own church who do struggle with that because they live paycheck to paycheck. Things get tight. They've got debt. And if you were to ask them, hey, do you ever stress out about money? The answer would be, yeah, I do. Uh, Things are tight. And so, living below your means is really an essential thing that you need to start practicing. You need to have more income than expense if you want to get ahead financially. Doctor Don Strange recently preached for us at our at our church's anniversary service, and he put it this way: He said, "If your income is smaller than your outgo, your upkeep will be your downfall." He said, "If your income is smaller than your outgo, your upkeep will be big or will be your downfall." And so the question not only was what does it mean to live below your means, but it's also how to. And that's, that's almost an episode in and of itself. But I'll give you the biggest thing that will help you live below your means, and that is a budget, a literal budget, a written budget a budget for every dollar. And so what I want you to do is is to sit down at the beginning of every month and you write down your income for the month. Write down your income for how often you get paid. Maybe it's bi-weekly, but for a lot of people it's monthly. Write down your income and then write down every single expense. I mean everything. You say, well, that's just miscellaneous. No, there shouldn't be a miscellaneous. Everything needs to be budgeted out. Everything needs to have a line item. And so you sit down at the beginning of every month, you write down your income, you write down your expenses, then you assign every dollar, every single dollar, there's no slush fund. All right. There's no, I'm just setting this aside for miscellaneous. No, every dollar is assigned to something, to some form of portion of the budget. And so when you assign all your expenses to your income, whatever income you have left over goes towards whatever goals you're working towards. Maybe you're saving an emergency fund, which should be properly stocked with an amount based on your expense level. And so it's different for everybody, but you need to be saving for an emergency fund. You need to be saving for retirement. You need to be saving for maybe you're making a big purchase. Maybe you're, Like my wife and I, who are saving for purchasing a home. Um, Or maybe you're being a blessing. Maybe there's something you're going to buy or something you're going to give to be a blessing to other people. And so that's how you're going to really begin to manage this idea of living below your means is to sit down and make sure you do a written budget at the beginning of every pay period or every month, depending on how you want to do it. The question is, though, what do you do if it's a paycheck to paycheck thing? You have no leftover income. What do you do? Well, you have to do one of two things. Number one, you, um, you, you can do either of these options. Number one, you could increase your income. You could increase your income simply just um, maybe switch jobs. Maybe you get a better paying job. Maybe you take on more hours. Maybe you take on another part-time job. Maybe you sell some of your stuff online. Maybe you have a yard sale, but find some way to get your income up. That's one way. Um, but For Tabitha and I, we didn't really have that option. Where I was at that particular place in our life when we were going through these things, I didn't really have an option to get a better paying job. Um, I was already working two jobs. And so I didn't have another option. Plus, I was going to college or doing college online at that time. And so I didn't have another option to try and find another job or to even take on more hours. So that was out for me. So what did we do? Well, the other thing you can do is you can decrease your expenses. You can decrease your expenses. You say, how do you do that? Well, the biggest ways you can eradicate debt. Um, imagine no more interest payments, no more interest on monthly payments for stuff you bought that you're still paying off on. Um, so, getting rid of debt, which includes car loans, which includes you know your mortgage. Imagine not having a mortgage payment anymore like how much money that would be just going into your pocket, just extra money. Um, Credit card bills, medical bills, student loans, getting rid of all those things, decreasing your expenses by eradicating debt, that's only going to increase your income, basically. Um, And then crunch down on your wants. Look, you don't need cable TV. You don't need unlimited unlimited gigabytes of cell phone data. You don't need full coverage auto insurance on your $1,500 yard truck. You, you don't need to eat out four times a week. And so learn to crunch down on your wants. And then another thing you can do to decrease your expense is to slim down on your grocery bill. And so learn to buy off-brand. You said, oh, no, off-brand. Yeah, buy off-brand. Buy great value. And uh, it's okay. You won't die. Now, let me put this out there. There are some things. Maybe I could do a whole episode on this. But there are some things. Just buy name brand. Um, It's not worth it. Um, But most of the stuff you can buy off-brand, and you'll be just fine. And then learn to slim down on your wants in the grocery bill. Look, you don't have to have Oreos and ice cream every month. Learn to eat cheaper meals, have beans and rice, peanut butter and jelly. And so either increase your income or decrease your, exp- your expenses. And then just crunch down your budget. Crunch down your budget, get rid of debt, free up your income, and you'll be happily happily living below your means. And so that's a couple things you can do to start living below your means. We will be having an episode very soon on biblical finance and God's principles for handling your money in His way. And so we'll have an episode out on that soon. I was hoping to be done before the 30-minute mark with this Q&A, but we went a couple minutes over, it looks like. So we're going to go ahead and cut that off there. Oh my goodness, we only got to three questions. And so maybe we'll get to some more at a later time. If you have a question to send in, you can always send that to sandycreekstirings.com. Go to the contact page, or you can send us an email, joshua at or message us through Facebook. We would love to hear from you and love to hear those questions that you have. And let me tell you this, friend. Keep living for God. Keep working and doing your best to be the best Christian that you can. Not working your way to heaven, but simply to try and honor Christ with your life. That's our goal. We want to honor Him. He did so much for us, and we should do so much for Him. As you do, my friend, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.